this is Donald Copeland, assistant men's basketball coach at Seton Hall. You're listening to Left Coast Pirates. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is January 30th, 2022. Mike, I can't do it this week. I can't do it can't do what can't i'm do not what? reviewing last week mike i can't talk about those games you know i was actually gonna no show today mike in honor of the pirates no show in the last two games i was just not gonna come in i was gonna have you sit there in an empty studio by yourself and see how you feel about it i'm done but don't don't sandbag me with that type of an intro come on he said that's a little extreme no that, that i'm not gonna i'm gonna no show today like the team no showed. Come on. Hey, Tom, you've had more than 24 hours to settle down and get your emotions back in check. This was this is a, a Monday, Wednesday. Mikey, this week. I'm sorry. I can take bad play. We've seen enough bad play. I can't take bad effort, Mike. I am sorry. I, I get it, man. What are we gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna talk about the two losses and how this really puts the team into bubble territory. Kind of obvious, right? We could talk about like you just said, the slow starts, the no-show efforts. We could talk about the lack of adjustments, the poor shot selection, uh, all the bad luck related to COVID and the injuries. I'm with you. It, it kind of feels like it's a broken record to me at this point. We can do our normal segment, and we're just going to be hammering the same topics in sour grapes and grapes again. I, you know, I, I don't want to hear what our national ranking for assists based on certain categories are anymore. They suck. We don't pass. I get it. I, I don't want to hear about the new excuse for this week. You know, it's, it's gotten to the point where they're kind of almost insulting to the fans some of the things we're hearing in the post game to justify the results on the court that day. You know, I, I don't want to do an entire episode of Sour Grapes and Grapes. So I'm with you. Let, let, let's mix it up. I mean, where, where would we even find a positive to talk about this week? You want me to really dig deep? I'll, I'll dig deep for you, Tommy. Congratulations to Ike Obiagu with five more blocks this week. He now has 169 with his time with the Pirates, setting a school record, passing the great Sam Delambert. Did you, there you just go. say the great Sam Delambert? Really? Excuse me, in, in, in pirate lore, like if you make the NBA, right, and you have an extended career in the NBA, you're, you're obviously great. He had right? an extended he, he, career, sure, but I mean, come on He made now, a Sweet 16. Right? He, he, Sammy made a Sweet 16, did he not? He was, he was on that 2000 squad, right? Well, he's, you he's know, got, I mean, just having Ike pass the record is kind of should shed some light on Sam Dellenberg's time with the Pirates. I mean, 
He had that in two years, Mike. It's That's taken true, Ike man. four. So I, I think uh, Sam was very similar to Ike in the fact that their offensive game was very raw, uh, but their ability to block shots was off the chart. So yeah, congratulations to Ike. Uh, nice accomplishment. Past the past Sammy, who also had uh, quite the accomplishment back in his time. But Tom, that's that's really it, man. I mean, how, how do you want to do the format of this show if we're not going to go through our standard protocol? All right, so here's how we should do it. You know what, Mike? We should look at this as a halfway point in the Big East season, and we should see how the team has stacked up so far. So the midterm grades are in, and we're going to see how well the Pirates rank across all sorts of subjects. So... This week on the podcast, we will talk about the conference midterm grades. We will go to our favorite segment of Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. We're going to have a little fun and talk conspiracy theories, Mike. And we will take a look at what the final 10 games will bring us. Okay, I'll, I'll play along. You're going to change the entire format, but you're not going to let Kevin Willard off the hook. No, deep no, thoughts, Kevin, huh? Oh, no, I, I got a feeling Coach Willard's not going to be let off the hook at all this week. All right, Tommy. So so dur- during the Marquette game, there were moments that the fans rained boos down onto the court, right? Never really a good look for a college basketball game, but afterwards on social media, it was debated that they were booing the players. Were they booing the coach? Was it a little bit of everything? I'm in the school of belief, don't boo college athletes. And that was probably a, the more prevalent and popular take on, on social media, but that it's the coach who needs to be accountable. So instead of individually grading all the players, let's grade coach Kevin Willard on certain aspects of how the season has gone as we do this midseason report card. I don't think it's fair to take shots at individual players. I think when we talk about some of Willard's overall evaluation here, some of those things will come up, but I'm not going to go after a Jared Roden or a Kadari Richmond. I'm not going to play that card here if, if that's okay with you, right? So let's jump into it. My first topic that I'll throw to you that I'd like to see some evaluation on is the transfer of recruiting, right? You've had four guys that were brought into the mix. You got Richmond, you got Yetna, you got Harris, and I'm also going to throw Trey Jackson into the mix here because Trey really didn't get a chance to play last year. And the expectation was that his transfer was going to have an impact on this particular season. Yeah, so I, I think your subject matter here is appropriate, Mike, because, you know, Seton Hall has not really done a decent job of, of recruiting the top notch high school players, probably since the Isaiah class. So it's all the more important that we pick out gems from the transfer portal. So this is probably an appropriate way to start this topic here, Mike. But, you know, before we dive into negativity, why don't we start with what's been positive so far? You don't want to start with Yetna because I think it's blatantly obvious that he was kind of as advertised. You expected him to have the ability to put up a double-double and for the most part, outside of a couple stretches where he was feeling himself out the first four games, he has been that guy. And when he's played that lunch pail, that junkyard dog guy under the basket, whether you like those monikers or not, when he's played that effective type of game, the, the hall has done really well. But where has he gone the last two? Yeah, It's been rough to watch these last two. These last two, he's looked unathletic. He hasn't gotten back on defense. He's been a non-factor. 
And that kind of brings me to a point where, you know, he started getting comps to Angel Delgado. And that just has to stop, man. Angel was a force of nature under those boards. Now, yet now, I don't like using the lunch pail or junkyard dog terms because I think that, in effect, takes away the skill set. Because Yetna's a skilled player. He's got a nice little set of moves down low. He really needs to stop shooting that three as much as he does unless it's last second three on the baseline. I'm not good with it. But Yetna has been as good as advertised. And he's going to get that eight rebounds a game that we, we said treat for. I, I just don't know if he's that athletic. I mean, he's got more bounce in his step. And the problem is you're comparing him to Angel Delgado, which is not a fair comparison because you couldn't slide a piece of paper under uh, Angel when he went up to the basket. I mean, the reality is his game is still kind of limited outside behind the three-point line. He, he's okay. He's, he's not beating guys off the dribble. You know, he's not putting in you know si significant post moves that you got to feed him, feed him down low. I, I like when he puts his butt into the paint. I like when he does the dirty work underneath the basket. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him some flexibility to step out and do some other things. But when he's at his best, he's underneath the rim. And I'd like to see him stay there more often than not. And you, Okay, so the, we got a lot of positivity there. So let's stay positive for a second. You know who's been a good surprise? And I'm glad you put him in here because he, I really didn't think about him as uh, taking a look at this year's transfer. But Trey Jackson... As you said, he played some garbage minutes last year, so that didn't really count. This year, again, he kind of came out of nowhere. He, he really wasn't expected to do a whole lot, but he's had some nice flashes. He's had a really nice game against Michigan early on. He had He's had some nice touch. He can shoot the three. He's at 41%, which probably blows away most of the rest of the roster, Mike. So he's been good. I, I like what I see out of Trey Jackson. I and I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. Probably blows away the rest of the roster. He's leading the team in shooting from a percentage perspective from three-point range. Hey, what a concept. Maybe we should get him some more looks. It was a really nice play to end the St. John's first half to, to tie the game at, I believe it was 28 or something like that. What a concept. The guy's shooting 41%. Maybe let's get him some more looks. Uh, uh, I think Trey doesn't rebound to the extent that Kevin needs him to at the four. He's only rebounding, I think, what, like three and a half a game. Sometimes he's a little overmatched in the post. I would like to see Trey, believe it or not, play some more three. How about that as a concept? Very athletic, could be a matchup nightmare. He's pretty athletic on the defensive side, so maybe he would give, you know, a six, seven, three. Uh, a difficult time in trying to get that jump shot off. I just think Trey hasn't been utilized to the extent that he can be at his very, very best. But yes, Tr Trey's been good so far. No, no complaints there. Okay, moving down. We got to get a little negative here. Let's start with Jameer Harris a little bit here. You know, the last two games, he's ha he's put up at least some nice numbers. Although I would debate you and say that the numbers in the Marquette game were kind of fool's gold. I mean, a lot of those points were when the game was basically decided. I was calling for the bench to be pulled in at that point. There was no need to keep the starters and they weren't winning that game. But in his defense, 
nothing's run for him kind of like trey jackson you know you're kind of just putting the ball in his hands and and trying to say hey go figure something out get me a three try to drive that's all you're doing with him at this point so make up your mind is is he underutilized or is he not playing at the level of his competition can it not be both it it could be personally i again when you were talking about having him start this year mike because you already had him in the starting lineup at the beginning of this year, I said I'm cautiously optimistic. I can, I hope he comes in, drills a few threes off the bench, and we see what it is. Because I told you he played a lot of ball for American. I wasn't getting excited for the transfer from American. All right, so, so I, I will agree with you in a, in a couple aspects here, but you're, you're going to make me defend myself every time we do a damn episode. There was a reason why I thought he'd be better suited to start at the two, and I'm going to say this for the last time. I will then also say, shame on me, it didn't pan out, but there was logic based on that potential starting opportunity. You had a 6-6 point guard who's more of a defensive-minded player in Kadari Richmond, and then I'm hoping that he's going to break down the defense force the the other team to collapse and a guy like Harris would flourish by having open three-point attempts and then on the opposite side of the court Harris being a little bit undersized kind of balances out with Kadari on the court and then when you go to Aiken and and Kale you have the same type of of complimentary play instead he goes with two non-offensive you know better defenders on that side of the ball but can't shoot the ball offensively and Seton Hall struggles out of the gate So just logically, it made sense that Harris would get a chance to start. But no, it has not come to fruition. Harris comes off the bench predominantly, is not getting plays run for him, forcing the action. He's typically paired with Aiken, who's not passing the basketball. So you're right. He's completely underutilized in terms of getting good looks. You said it a thousand times. On the occasions where his feet are set, it feels like it's going in every time. But when he's rushing off the dribble or he's forcing it from deep, he hasn't had that you know opportunity to shine like he has in in brief moments. On the defensive side, I will I will criticize Harris here. I think he gives a hundred percent effort, but sometimes effort's just not enough. He's six three. He's not able to stay in front of faster Big East guards, and and that's just a fact. You were saying it to me, you know, in the Marquette game, Daryl Morsel was like licking his chops whenever he got that matchup. And there's situations where they put him in the pick and roll and he got matched up against Justin Lewis. He's a defensive liability at times when he's out there on the court. So yeah, probably, probably on the, on the underside of performance here in terms of Harris's evaluation. But speaking of underperforming, wouldn't you say that Kadari Richmond for the most part is kind of underperformed. He was expected to be this year's full-time point guard when he committed from Syracuse and everybody based on his NBA potential or his measurables was basically saying that he was going to be Seton Hall's savior and Tommy he hasn't even started every game so I mean give me what your take is here on Kadari well it's odd you know and and maybe coach Beheim knew something that we didn't that obviously uh, Kadari's got uh, unlimited potential here but but what has he really done well outside of one big game against UConn. What does he really do well? He 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 plays the passing lanes. The real, he plays passing lanes really well. Does, gets a ton of steals. Plays really aggressive defense. But I, I, running an offense, 
I haven't seen it yet. I was joking with you saying he probably had as many assists to the Marquette team in the last game that he did to the <laughs> C&All team because he, uh, he throws away passes. I'm still waiting for this uh, flourish of passes that I heard about in the in the preseason practices visited upon by the scribes of Seton Hall where they said they saw glimpses of Isaiah Whitehead in that. I mean, come on, stop. Well, that's because he was going up against the Seton Hall defense. Oh, we'll, get to later oh, on. We'll, fair, we'll save Mike. that. We'll that's save that. Fair. But look, speaking of being fair, he has had some other good performances. I know it was just against Wagner, but you know, you see the potential, the 10 points, the nine assists, the six rebounds, the four steals, I mean, it just shows that he has the ability to impact the game, you know, across multiple aspects of what he does well. You know, he hits the game winner against Cal. He has that mini burst in the first half against Rutgers that kind of gives them the lead in order to kind of separate. There are glimpses, but the expectation was, here's the guy who's going to run the entire team. Now we're off and running. Now we have this true point guard. Would you even say that he's a true point guard? Well, not yet, but you know what? The offensive rerun doesn't do him any favors either, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But he, he's got the potential. I like Kadari. He, he's struggling. I think he's fighting hard. I think he gives great effort. I, I think there's a lot there uh, that we can look forward to. But right now, he's, he's, he's struggling. All right, so let's bundle it up. The, the initial comment was roster composition – and the overall aspect of four major transfers filling in the gaps for Seton Hall's potential success this year. We highlighted Richmond, Yetna, Harris, and Jackson. Give me Kevin Willard's grade, in your opinion, relative to what he did with the recruiting here. I think it's been right down the middle here. I mean, you've got two guys that are real positive. You've got one guy that's struggling. One guy's kind of not shown us a whole lot. So I, I think a B minus would be sound about right. That's what smells right to me. Uh, down the middle is a B. What, what, what kind of schooling did you I have? said B minus Michael. Uh, B well, minus. A, a C is down the middle, right? A, B, C, D, you know, and then out the door. Stop. I'm not defending myself here. B minus sounds about right. I'm going to give him a B. I, I think there's more good here than not. Um, I think even if you have someone like Kadari who's struggling, you still have Kadari for another, what, potentially even three years? His freshman year at Syracuse doesn't even count because of the COVID year. You have someone like Harris where maybe bringing Harris in from a recruiting perspective gave us the opportunity to recruit his brother. So you, sometimes you have to look at some of the other aspects of, of what you're going to be able to accomplish. And, and even Trey Jackson, right? Trey's here for potentially another two seasons beyond this year. So when you look at like the overall collective impact for not just this year, but what it can do for the roster going forward and saying, Hey, did the, the, the transfer portal help close the gap on some of the maybe shortcomings of uh, high school recruiting or maybe misses of the past? Sure. I'm, I'm okay with giving Kevin a, a better than average grade here. Uh, with with a B on my side. Let's go to something that oh, oh that people always love giving uh, Willard and his staff credit for, and that's player development, Mike. Let's let's talk about how they have taken these guys from last year and how they've gotten better or worse this year. So if we're gonna go there, I, I don't want to focus on the overall game of these guys, right? Uh, what Seton Hall has struggled at is their ability to execute on the offensive side. So let, let's focus as to how they've developed their games from where they were last year in terms of these players 
to where they're impacting the the game offensively because I think that's where Seton Hall is missing the mark and I think that's where Willard needs to be evaluated so the first guy that you have down here is is Bryce Aiken and I, I know there's a mixed bag with Bryce. I, and you're you're not as big of a fan of Bryce as I am. So that is I'm gonna... not fair, Mike. That now is it's not so fair. Not fair. Uh, when, when you pick on me because I take a shot at Tyrese from time to time, and then all of a sudden I push back at you, and now it's no, not fair. You picked on Tyrese like he owes you money. I said I didn't want to talk about Bryce until he was healthy. So don't get don't paint me with that brush, Michael. Well, no, you also Tiger can't change his stripes. I mean, how many times are you going to say that to me? That's not so, putting someone down, Mike. You're you're projecting, my friend. So I'm telling you that I think Bryce has absolutely improved his overall offensive efficiency. You know, prior to the Rutgers game, he was shooting 42% from the floor. He was shooting 27% from three. And we came on the episode, and regardless of how well he was bailing them out down the stretch, we were still questioning some of those deep, unchecked, you know, out-of-control three balls that just didn't fit into the flow of the offense or coming across on a fast break and taking a three from the logo. Like, what the heck? And I was like, he just needs to clean that up. And he could be so much more impactful. And you were like, that can't happen. This is who he is. He's 25 years old. He's He went to Harvard. He's a smart enough kid. If he hasn't changed now, he's not going to change. Since the Rutgers game, 47% from the floor. Tom, 43% from three-point range. And essentially, yes, he has. Stop, shut the I'm wild ashamed, I, am, I, I am ashamed of you, Mike, because I would have assumed that you would have went back to the game film and you would have tracked every single one of his shots. Should have. That he, you should have. Yes, you should have, because I recall that we had one game of that. We had one game where he decided not to take the long ball. He still takes those crazy shots. He still takes them from distance. He's just on a heater from all other shots, Mike. He's oh, still doing the it. same kind of offense, my friend. You're just trying to change the narrative here. His numbers have been off the charts better Absolutely. lately. Are you kidding me? He's still it, taking it, those long bobs, he's though, not Mike. Don't chucking. Fool yourself. He's not chucking. Just stop. You're full I'm of it. I'm sorry. Mike. Full of it. He, he goes it, against Michael. Rutgers 7 of 12 in that game. He backs it up. Yes, he had an off game at Providence, in which we lost. But then he goes 5 of 11 against Nova. He played the game at Butler and only took six shots. You forgot? That was the, That's your Butler. one, Mike. That's your one. He was 6 of 13 against UConn. He was 9 of 15 against Marquette. I'm, I'm sorry. He's on a oh, heater. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, and the majority of shots were not from three. I, I, I'm moving on. I, I'm a big fan of Bryce. If you want to take a shot at Bryce, what you should have said was he's still not a true point guard, right? That, that, that would be the criticism here is Willard's bringing him in to be his, uh, what I thought was going to be his microwave scorer off the bench. And, and that I could have lived with, with Bryce coming back, but Bryce has come back in a starting point guard role now as the season has evolved. He's the guy he's playing 30 plus minutes a game. Yeah. I know he had a nice game against Butler and UConn in terms of the seven assists he had, but in the losses versus DePaul and Marquette, he took 30 combined shots and had five total assists and only one in the Marquette game. If you're red hot with the 28 points that he put in that day, you got to assume that other people are keying in on him. He could have had more than one assist in that game, no? I, I, I None of this upsets me. None of this surprises me. I, we all knew that this was who Bryce was. He was a scoring 
point guard, Mike. This is who he was at Harvard. I don't know what you thought the staff was going to do or tell him. He's an older player. He knows how to play successfully, and that's what he's doing. So I don't, I don't know where you're going with this, Mike. Uh, that's not taking a shot. You knew he wasn't going to be a, I expect a Willard. true I point expect guard. Like, a true point guard like Mike, like 1950s Mike likes. No, oh this is how God. the game's played, Mike. Sorry. This is, how the, this is how the game's played? Just complete ISO chuck when, and then nail the rest of your teammates? you can shoot like Bryce can, if Tyler Kolek, your new favorite player in the Big East, could shoot like Bryce Aiken could, he would as well. So stop it. I'm sorry. Pass first point guard makes everybody around you better. They need a pass first point guard. And if you're going to ask Bryce to play as many minutes as he does with how they're struggling offensively, you still need to kind of adjust what he's going to do on the court for 30 plus minutes. I don't they disagree. They need a pass first point guard, Mike, but nothing in Bryce's career said that so that you thought that he was going to do it. That's shame on you, not shame on him. No, I'm not blaming Nate. I'm not blaming Nate here. I'm blaming Kevin again. I'm saying, I'm going to put you in the starting lineup. It's different than coming off the bench and getting yours as a spark. I'm going to ask you to run the point from the jump of a game and set the tone. Yeah. Yeah, I think you got to be a pass first point guard. Wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Let's move on here. Uh, how, how How about Miles and Jared, right? Two guys that have been with this program for a long time, and I think people were still expecting them to make this jump. This is like the new thing. If you're back for another year, you got to make a jump. So, so let's start with miles, right? I mean, when I thought he was coming back, I also thought he was going to come back in that supporting role, but no, as you were correct, he was in the starting lineup and he has started all 16 games, even though his minutes are down slightly uh, from 31, a game last year to 26 this year. But I mean, aren't you somewhat disappointed with the shooting numbers that he's produced? Well, Mike, you know, he's had a a, a strange year. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's shooting 42% from the field. He's shooting 33% from three. And uh, let's not even get into the free throw percentage. I, I think he's actually raised that up to a nice 62% now. But, you know, we know what Miles is. And, and, and it's been a guy who is not someone that can create off the dribble. And if this team does anything, it's try to create off the dribble. Now, Bill Koch, I think, said something interesting on our podcast a while back where he said, you know, development isn't linear. It's not like you can have the same amount of development per year and the and the guys will just keep getting better and better or it guys just don't get as better as fast i think miles's development ended his sophomore year how about that i don't think he's gotten any better on his offensive game since since that sophomore year and and i'll tell you what i think going to those pan and games probably hurt him more than anything else but he's basically been either the same or worse since then no, no, it, it's he's Miles is more of a fit in type of guy. So his sophomore season, he was asked to do a lot more because, it, you know, it was at that point, him, Sandro and Miles and, and Q hadn't found his stride yet. So that was a really younger team in terms of guys stepping up and filling new roles. Then all of a sudden the following season, Miles is probably what the, the fifth scoring option and then goes down to six points a game. 
maybe that was better suited for him to kind of slot in and play that role. But once again, being a more focused player on this team in terms of contributions needed in his true senior season, his numbers went back up again. So now he's a fifth year senior and his numbers are down. I'm not picking on miles. Remember this is an evaluation for a report card of Kevin Willard and player development. You know, you said this a thousand times. We know who Miles Kale is at this point. We know what to expect from his game. So you're telling me by the fifth year in this program, we don't know how to get Miles involved you're to Miles' strengths? You're conflating stats and development, Mike. They're two separate things. Stop it. I'm telling you, the best we got out of Miles was coming out of that sophomore year. It's basically been up and down since. I don't know that he's gotten better on offense since then. Obviously, I'm, he plays great defense, You know, we, especially these last couple games against St. John's where he really locked down Champagny. But... You know, not talking about defense. We're not, we're not talking about his know, defense. But here, on though, the offensive right? side, it, it ended in that season, in my opinion. I, you just said you said it a thousand times. Get Miles Slash into the basket. And that, to me, that's on the coaching staff to once again keep or on putting him in, in, in ISO situations or, you know, asking him to be a spot up three and D type guy. It's just really not who he is. He's more of a slasher to the basket. So the fact that we don't do that for him or get him in that position to be successful. I'm a little disappointed. Let's move on to, once again, getting guys in the right position. Jared Roden, I never question his effort, all right? His rebounding, his blocks, his steals, from a numbers perspective, from an eye test perspective, that hasn't changed in his game. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. And actually, it came back, you know, because for a while – when he was a freshman and a sophomore, his hands were everywhere. It seems like he always had a deflection. He was always in the middle of things. And I think that's definitely back at that level. But but his shooting has been a completely different story. You know, 43% last year down to 39. 30% from three, which we said needed to improve. And he's now down to 25%. Tom, these are numbers that are not even close to someone who was a first-team All-Big East preseason selection. He's kind of regressing after his initial hot start to this year. He's pressing. He's not taking good shots. I, I, there are times where we've said it, and, and fans are saying it when they're, they're posting on like the game threads, like Jared needs to take a seat and to have some more perspective of what's going on in the game. So what can the coaching staff do to put Jared back into those situations where he scores at all three levels, where he lets the game come to him. He is beyond pressing at this point. Well, I, I don't know where I heard it, but but someone made the comment that, you know, Jared is now supposedly the man, but he doesn't know how to do it yet because, you know, he wasn't asked to do it previously, and now it's been kind of thrust upon him. And, and I'll, take, I'll tell you what, I take a little umbrage with that just because of the fact that Jared was calling for this in the preseason when he got voted onto the second team all big East. He was making it sound like this was some great insult. Like I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember every guy drafted out in front of me and I'm going to show all these teams what's going on. You know, he was calling for this. And so I don't want to hear any excuses of why he's not producing at this point. Once again, this comes back to the lack of offense that Seton Hall runs. I mean, 
Everything is ISO. Everything is one-on-one. And he's taking more and more difficult shots as the year goes on because there's more footage of him. These coaches aren't dumb. I go back to my comparison of Jared to somebody else in the preseason. And I I gave him some lofty uh, expectations here by comparing him to Trayvon Blewett uh, of, of Xavier back in the day. Because Trayvon found a way to get his 18 to 19. And I thought Jared was going to be that guy. And when I watched Blewett play, the ball did not run through his hands on every possession. He wasn't isoing. He wasn't trying to get his own. The ball was going through Edmund Sumpner. The ball was going through J.P. McCura. You had guys with personality in the backcourt. And then Blewett would feed off of those guys. So I really thought you were going to have a Bryce Aiken, a Kadari Richmond, maybe even a Jimmy Harris, guys with this moxie that we kept on hearing about in the preseason, be the kind of guys that, you know, set the stage for Jared to just do his thing at, like I said, at three levels, improve his three-point shooting, you know, get to the free throw line, you know, get out in transition, use his mid-range game. It has not happened. And then coach keeps on thrusting him into this alpha role further and further and I don't understand it. Uh, once again, let, let, last nugget you know, here. You know, I don't like giving you a whole lot of compliments, Mike, because your head gets big. But I like the blue. It, that, that's a really good comparison right there. I like that job right there. Good job, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, 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 here, here's an eye-opener for you. Let, last nugget in this section for player development. Did you realize last year that Ike Obiagu averaged almost five points per game? I did not know that, man. And he is currently down to two and a half this year. Well, how's that happening? Well, I'll tell you how it's happening, Mike. And I'll actually tell you what I noticed. And and you tell me if I'm crazy or not. Mike, we're not passing the ball. We're not getting him the ball in positions for him to score. It's not like Ike's going to put his butt down in the paint, raise one arm up, and we're going to feed him in there. He's got to be kind of spoon-fed opportunities to do some scoring, Mike. If they, you mean like I, the two dunks against Marquette that got blocked in the first 30 seconds? <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, and this all comes down to that lack of offensive flow. How many block shots did St. John's and Marquette have against us in this past week? A ton, a ton. But don't, I, don't, I, do this. I, don't, don't, don't go into offensive execution well, yet. No, no, Save no, no. It. But this, Save is where, it. this is where it comes to. This is where it comes down to. I'm telling you that a lot of those blocks are because as Seton Hall drives to the basket, the defenders know there's no action coming off this drive. It's going to be whoever shoots that, whoever's got the ball in his hand, he's putting it up. So all I have to do is defend the shot. I don't have to worry about a potential pass off. And that's what happens there. That's where Ike's point potential is going down. Now, Ike is doing a lot better on defense. We're not, not talking about not defense. Bo- We're not talking about defense not here. From a block, not from a block shot perspective, but from a footwork perspective. He's not that liability. But if you're not going to set him up with anything, he's not going to score, man. I, look, I have the issue with how many 7-2 studs in terms of their body type grab an offensive rebound four feet from the basket and their first inclination is to pass it back out. That is where he's at right now. That's where he's at right now. If if we're developing him, we should be teaching him to not bring the ball down below his waist so it can get stripped. We should be like, Ike, you get that ball on offensive rebound, they're not ready for you. You just go right back up and stuff that in. And his first instinct is let's pass it out to guys that are shooting 25% from three. Well, well two things. He's not real springy, 
after grabbing that offensive board. So it's not like he can just go right back up with it. And number two, who's coaching those big men, Mike? Oh, stop. Right, it's not uh, like Grant was grabbing an offensive board and putting it back up, okay? Let's just let's just put that in perspective. All right, let, let's let's put this 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 bullet point to, to to bed here. The overall player development offensively for guys that have come back, I'm giving a C minus here. I, I I think it's below average. I, I like the fact that Aiken has not been chucking. If Aiken was still chucking, I'd probably give this a D. But overall offensive improvement, I'm, I'm giving a C minus. Uh, you know what? You're being a whole lot nicer than I am today. I'm giving him that D. I don't see it. There's not, I, I don't see it. And, and when you get the credit that that this coaching staff and Coach Willard has gotten in the past years for player development, you better eat the criticism when it's deserved. All right. So, so here's another area in terms of like development, but more of like handling, right? So let, let's talk about the handling of the freshmen. There's there was been a handling lot... of freshmen this year, Mike. When? Well, there was, there was a big expectation up until the summertime when a whole bunch of other pieces slided in place. You had all the transfers, you had Aiken and Kale coming back. And I think the three freshmen that were highly acclaimed to be coming in and, you know, being the future of this program, uh, we've kind of forgotten about them. Like, you know, Weston, Brandon Weston has only played 30 seconds on the season against the ball. And his only responsibility was to go in and give fouls. Tyler Powell has essentially just played garbage time. And we've been dealing with the curiosity of is Ryan Conway going to redshirt when he didn't enter early game action. And now we're kind of leaning towards, we're probably not going to see him for his entire freshman campaign, giving him an extra year of eligibility. You know, you said this to me in the beginning of the year, you said, that this was supposed to be a rebuilding season. And we were willing to accept that. And then, like I said, all these changes took place. And you wanted a second weekend tournament opportunity. I want to can't guarantee anything to be in the second weekend, but you wanted a team that was going to give you a second weekend tournament opportunity if we were going to set these kids back for a whole year. Where we stand today, how do you feel we are progressing with expectations? And what we should have been doing with these kids. Well, Mike, tell me if tell me if I'm wrong, but was this recruiting class not a ballyhooed uh, recruiting class? Weren't they trying to compare this recruiting class to back the Isaiah Whitehead recruiting class? Wasn't that the general vibe we were getting from everybody? I once again, I, I think it's like you know, uh, out of sight, out of mind. When when it first hit, we got some of these guys early on. So we had a Brandon Weston, who's a top 100 recruit, which we hadn't landed a high school recruit in the top 100 since who? Miles Kale, right? We've gotten some guys to transfer in that were previous top 100 guys, but nobody that we had snagged out of high school. And then we had these guys, like I said, commit a little bit earlier. So when the initial projections were coming out, Seton Hall was like top 20 with that recruiting class. But I think as the season went along, it kind of fell somewhere into like the mid 30s. And it also fell to the middle, to the bottom half of where it ranked within the Big East itself. And isn't that important, right? You can have a great recruiting class, but if your direct competition is out recruiting you still, that kind of loses some of the luster of your recruiting class. I I don't know. Here's what pains me, Mike. It's not like we are this yearly top 10 program that needs our you know, more experienced guys playing at all times to keep that level. We do a lot of struggling here at Seton Hall. Let's be honest about that. 
And how are we not doing a little testing of the waters, if you will, when we struggle? We were having a, a whole bunch of problems this past week with St. John's and Marquette. We look like garbage against the Paul early on. None of this could have created an opportunity for five, six, seven minutes for for Brandon Weston before he turned an ankle recently, or give Tyler Powell a shot when you're not getting a whole lot of production out of your bigs. And, you know, Ryan Conway at this point, I mean, he was now fourth on the depth chart coming into this season when he was supposed to be potentially the next point guard. I don't know, man. I, I don't understand why we don't put these guys in to at least get a sniff when Big East experience is so important. The one that I scratch my head the most about is really the Brandon Weston DePaul game. We've been chomping at the bit to see him get some action. We were uh, promised that he was going to get some playing time in the Iona matchup. And then unfortunately COVID hit the program. And then we're expecting him to come back to the start of Big East play. And he's one of those guys in the initial wave, but he's cleared physically both COVID and injury related to be available for that DePaul game. You were down by what? It was 18 at one point in the first half. I'm not sure if it got to 20 at any point, but you're on the road getting lack of effort and energy against the bottom feeder in the big East. And you can't send a message to your team and be like, Hey, if you don't want to play, I got this top 100 recruit who's been dying to get back on the court since he's been injured. And now he's healthy and I'm going to give him some run. And I'm with you. Maybe he should have just emptied the bench, not just in that game, but maybe he should have did it in the St. John's game as well. And I know Brandon was not available in the St. John's game due to the turned ankle, but I think Tyler Powell deserved more than just the final six minutes of garbage time when the team finally got down by 30. And unfortunately, geez, they didn't even pass in the ball, Tom. Tyler did not register one shot in six minutes of play there. Come don't, on. Don't get me started with that, man. He had his arms up waving, and at one point, he, he just kind of sunk his head down. You know, get him the ball. You The game is over. You got the freshman kid in there. Get him the ball. Let him take a jumper. Well, how about we just, we don't just have to like roll over and let him take a shot. This is not a pity party. This is like for six minutes, let's still play good basketball. Jameer just started chucking up every shot he got a minute across half court. And I know he got up to 12 points and hit a couple of them. But at, in that moment of the game, do I really need to watch Jameer Chuck from 27 feet away? Let's try to run whatever semblance of an offense we have and see what the younger kids can do when they're on the court. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, my grade here, I, I'm disappointed. I like kids coming into the program and developing and being four-year guys and, and watching their maturation. Right now, I'm concerned. We haven't seen any of that. That always leads in today's day and age, potential transfers down the road. I'm giving a D. Yeah, that sounds about right, Mike. I mean, I could be a little nicer with it and say, you know, Brandon Weston's injury problems maybe gives uh, Coach Willard a little bit of a pass. But when he's healthy and available and you're not playing well and you still don't try to get him in there, I've got problems with that. All right, move, moving on. Adjustments. Kevin. Oh, Willard, here we go. Here's the good one. Kevin Willard is known for being called the chiropractor, you know? But what, what I find funny is I don't recall too many recent tweets by John Rossi in this year 
you know, proclaiming that moniker that he gave him a few years back. Where, where, where did John go? Where did John maybe, go? Maybe he's maybe he's printed up a bunch more T-shirts now, Mike. I don't know. But but the slow starts. I'm just going to focus on Big East play here alone. Bear with me here. Some you call them no shows. There have been slow starts. There have been some no shows. Marquette, most recent game out, 32 to 13. They got down. St. John's at Walsh, 40 to 19. Marquette at their place, 21 to 12. DePaul, 18 to 6. Butler, 14 to 7. Nova, 11 to 2. Providence, 34 to 22. All just kind of coming out slow, getting blown out of the doors, or just digging double digit deficits in the first half. It's tough to overcome those games night in and night out, especially when they're on the road, especially when teams know who you are in conference to have to readjust in the middle of the game or to expend that energy just to get back to even Tom, their record in those games, one and six. I kind of think it speaks for itself. You almost wonder if they do anything pregame to prep for the, the beginning of the game. I mean, this week especially was just mind-numbing, where they come out of a win against St. John's at the Garden and basically just let the Johnnies do whatever they want at Walsh and follow that up with letting Marquette do whatever they want at the Pru. So once again, this is not about criticizing the players. This is about evaluating Kevin Willard and staff. Why does it? Why do we wait so long to call timeouts in these games? I should have also went back and tracked the first timeout called in all of these different games. But there have been times where he hasn't called his first timeout, sometimes 10, 14 minutes into the half, where it really has gone off the deep end or he's lost control in terms of the tempo of the game. If you see something's off kilter within the first two to three minutes of the game. Why not a a timeout? Why not a fired up in the huddle segment right then and there to get the team to snap out of whatever doldrums they're in and refocus them? Mike, we're beyond timeouts here. Why does every game start this way? Forget it. Forget when he calls the timeout. Get them before the game starts. Mike, look, as as a coach, let's just say it's like as a manager in a business, you have to have your employees, your players, whoever you want to talk about, ready to perform. Imagine if a biz- in a business, this is how every quarter started or every month started, and you're playing catch-up to get to your goals by the end of the month. It's ridiculous. It's not, it's not something sustainable. All right. Well, what we thought was sustainable was the defense that this team was playing in the ATA conference. And I I don't like to post too much on, on the message boards, but I got emotional after this some of the games this week, and I made the comment, and I'm going to stick behind it. I believe that the out-of-conference success that we had was a little bit deceiving, specifically on the defensive end. I went back and charted Michigan. So Michigan, I know they're playing better of late, but Michigan has played seven games versus teams in the net top 50. Take a guess. How, how many points do you think Michigan is averaging in those games? Um, Mike, I don't, you're the numbers guy, Mike. Don't let 64, me 64, not really that robust on the offensive side of the, the floor there, right? Texas, people have been questioning the, uh, the underbelly of their schedule and have they really kind of, how are they going to perform against better competition? Texas has been playing better uh, of late as well, but Texas has played eight games versus the net top 60 and they're averaging 63 points per game. 
So both of these teams, when they play high-level competition, struggle to score the basketball. So I'm not saying we're, we're, we're a bad team, but they played a good level of competition in Seton Hall, and guess what? They struggled to score the basketball. Nothing special that Seton Hall did that other teams in the country have not done to slow down those two teams. And we keep on hanging our hats around those two games in the non-conference to be like, wow, if we could play defense like that against Michigan and Texas, and oh my God, they shut down Rutgers. Folks, Rutgers scored 48 in the game at home against Iowa. And they won, damn it. But they scored 48. We're not talking about offensive juggernauts in these three teams that we were celebrating our out-of-conference wins around. So, so I, I it, And it's not just that. We were also lauding their three-point defense, Tom. In the out-of-conference, it was well-deserved. 25% was the three-point shooting percentage for the competition. In conference play, it's jumped up to 38%, which is ninth worst in the Big East. Is, is the out-of-conference? Is it the Big East is just dead-eye three-point shooters? Or maybe we just weren't that good of the closing out. Or maybe other teams know how to how to scout us better and, and, and get good looks against us. What What is it? And, and then last but not least, free throw attempts. And I'm not talking about, oh, we're so unlucky because everybody in the world shoots the best free throw percentage against us. Hey, we were holding teams to only 13 attempts from the line, defending the paint, not letting guys get, get to the rim. Now we give up 19.6 free throw attempts during conference play. Also, ninth best in the Big East. So we are not defending line, and we are not uh, stopping guys from getting into the paint and getting to the free throw line. The defense is falling apart. Well, I'm telling you, that the, the out-of-conference was a mirage. Mike, you know, your numbers are making my head spin, but you know, one thing that truly has not been adjusted has been that offensive system that you keep telling me to wait. You keep telling me to wait. All podcast long, I was making these comments, but it's all one. It's it's all symbiotic here. It's not just that the assist numbers are bad. They are. They speak for themselves. But it's purely iso ball at this point. And we're not seeing effective pick and rolls we're not seeing we're you know early in the season we were kind of seeing the same kind of basketball but the ball was going in the basket so you're talking about the defense may have been a mirage the successful offense might have been a, a mirage as well but there was a possession against Marquette this past week that kind of encapsulated the entire season and how the offense has been run we're down nine, 146 left. Jameer Harris re- rebounds the ball and starts bringing it down. Clears half court at a buck 42, gets it there fast. But then he sits there dribbling in place on the left elbow till about 138 and shoots a pass to Jared Roden, who was basically two feet away from him, that Jared has to bobble a little bit, but holds on to it. 133. He passes it to Trey Jackson, who was trying to post on the same block, but got pushed out. So he's right next to Jared. So now you got two guys basically standing next to each other in the same area. Jared makes the pass, goes to the corner for some reason, as Trey Jackson throws up a flat-footed air ball at a buck 29. Roden rebounds the ball, pulls it back out to the wing on the other side of the court, 
does a step back three at 125. It goes long. Marquette rebounds, officially sealing the game. Not that that game was in any dire circumstances for the Golden Eagles at that point. But that offensive series right there, Mike, kind of shows everything that's been wrong with Seton Hall's offense all season long. There was nobody moving. Everybody bunched on one side. And everybody's decision at that point was, I'm going to go ISO here. I'm going to make something happen. See, this was the perfect opportunity for you to use the phrase, a microcosm of the rest of the season. Because that's what it is. The, the, the sequence that you described, we, I could have pulled a dozen of them in recent games throughout the year, beginning, middle of the stretch, where we were just last week. That's nothing new. You know, it, it's interesting, right? The, we, we say sometimes the sports is a game of inches. It's a game of, you know, bouncing. The, the ball bounces in a positive way or not. What if Texas and Michigan had just made a couple more three-pointers and not shot as, you know, inefficiently or as poor as they did, and we lose those games? Are we bragging about the potential expectations of this team going into the, the conference season if we were sitting at a 7-3? and three? We were talking in the preseason, like, you know, seven and four. You were saying even six and five. We didn't play the Iona game, so it was one less. And we had that Nyack game on there. It's it's really an eight and one with four hollow power six conference wins. Michigan, Texas, Cal, Rutgers, all really offensively challenged programs. So I just, I don't think the defense was to the same level that we thought it was or to the ability that we thought it was going to carry us throughout the regular season mike so, aren't, you, aren't you proud I, t- I went to the video for you I, that was <laughs> uh, aren't you proud of me well l- l- going back you know we have to give him a grade for this i'm gonna say this i'm gonna give kevin willard incomplete for this and you know i i think there's still potential to turn this around whether or not bryce shows up we've seen it in the past You know, we can point out that Maryland game from a few years ago where we didn't have Miles Powell, we didn't have Sandro, and we had a a top 15 ranked Maryland show up at the Rock, and we turned it into the old-fashioned four corners type, slow it down, walk the ball up type offense, and we ended up winning that game. So are there adjustments that Kevin's done in the past? Sure. Has he done anything this year? I'm still waiting for one. All right. You gave him a grade of an incomplete. My, my evaluation is I'm just going to ask for the t-shirts to be taken out of circulation. I want to see no more chiropractor t-shirts floating around until he's, until he's earned it again. All right. Well, uh, let, let's move on here. Oh, geez. We're well, public uh, you know, relations. We've been, we're being real hard on Kevin and staff. And, and, and I'll tell you this. I don't know that it's going to get any easier anytime soon because... And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. And you're going to put this under the, the, the title of public relations? Oh, geez. How, how is he going to? He's not going to pass this one. He's not passing public relations. And, and we're going to break down Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard, especially after what happened this past week? Come on. You know, you know we've said this in the past, and, and it's going to be like, a, like we're repeating ourselves here. 
But we love ourselves some Ed Cooley. And I think what we've discovered is we just love ourselves some Ed Cooley because of his personality. Because on the wins-losses side, he's basically Kevin Willard, but further north. But a question was asked to Kevin this week after they lost the game at Walsh to St. John's. Where, you know, and losing the game is not even the right description here. They got their doors blown off. They looked like they didn't want to be there. They looked like they weren't ready. And when asked about the atmosphere inside Walsh Gymnasium, Coach Willard comes back with the following. I don't like playing here. It's almost like it fits them perfect. They play at Carnesecca all the time. It's a bandbox, but it is what it is. You have no control over the schedule. Our home crowd at the Prudential Center is really good. We get like 9,000 people for a Big East game, so that's 8,000 people less than were here that would have been there. We don't practice up there. I think that's the first time we've been up there in about three months, so I'll take the Prudential Center. Mike, this was advertised as the first Big East game at Walsh Gymnasium since 1985, ironically enough, against St. John's. It was made into a students-only game. It was made special. It was made important. And Kevin takes a big, long turn over it all. I, uh, I'm normally very critical of Kevin in this segment, and, and we try to break it down, and we try to analyze what he should have said or maybe what he meant what he truly meant to say i'm i'm gonna be pretty direct this time i i thought these comments were just stupid they, they were they were ignorant they were insensitive and to be honest i i think he took for granted the intelligence of our fan base specifically the students because who did not show up for the marquette game that that student section was empty and i think that the telecast specifically cut away to avoid some of those camera shots, but there were some sequences where you got a glimpse as to what was behind our basket in our traditional student section. And you just saw a sea of open seats. So Kevin has to get better at answering these questions politically correct. Even if sometimes they're just coach speak and everyone's like, Oh, sometimes I just like it when he just kind of speaks his mind. Nope. This was not one of those situations. Even if he truly feels that way, he needed to, you know, put on his big boy pants and give a better what he did. The fan base has supported this program through a lot over the years. And when it goes bad, they tend to be there still, but not if you're going to push them away. So I, I was not happy with this answer at all from Kevin. And you know what, Mike? They didn't seem to play any better at the Pru against Marquette on Wednesday night. Thank they did. Oh, they didn't seem to play any better. That's your evaluation there. Come well, on, you know, Mike, being Mike, nice. This is what drives me crazy. We hear all these great stories of football coaches piping in noise to practices to get their teams prepared for uh, big, noisy games. You see teams go outside when they may normally practice inside to get used to, you know, temperatures and things of that nature. Hey, why didn't you just go up to Walsh and practice once or twice when you knew this game was coming just to get used to it? 
I, I don't want to hear it. I don't care if you play at the Pru. I don't care if you play at Walsh. I don't care if you play at one of those courts out in the city surrounded by a fence. You just get ready. Get your team ready and stop making excuses for everything. No disrespect to Tony and the girls team, but the minute that this schedule comes out with this game being played at Walsh, guess who's practicing in the auxiliary gym for the next two weeks? Not the men's team. Oh, in the Bill Meyer dungeon, yes. Why were they not on the court every day leading up to something that means more to the Seton Hall Athletics program in terms of dollar and cents, the success of the men's basketball team? Why were they practicing on the auxiliary gym and then making excuses? I mean, I think we all understand where the bread is buttered in terms of athletics here at Seton Hall University. Could a couple egos been bruised? Sure, but at the end of the day, if Kevin says, I want to practice on the main gym floor, because that's where we got a game coming up against a Big East opponent, that's where he should be practicing. I, I'm the, the excuses, Tom, just the running, never-ending excuses. Be better. Just be better. After the Marquette game, Coach Willard went on to the post game with Gary Cohen and Dave Popkin, as is Norm. But I'll tell you, one thing that we haven't talked about wasn't mentioned exactly the way it could have been. But Gary basically asks Coach Willard about the Seton Hall slide, as I like to call it. Kevin, you've been down this road before. Um, you know, this team was flying high. They were 15th in the country. Um, then the COVID thing hits, and you have to play shorthanded, and you've had uh, now Aiken hurt these last three games. And so you've lost four or five. And I'm wondering what the mood is like in that locker room. Are those guys keeping their heads up, or do you worry a little bit about them getting a little bit depressed? I'd say, Garrett, it's a little bit of both. You know, and that's why I just talked to them. I said, guys, you know, we've been down this road before here, and um, – you know, we're not, we're just not playing good basketball. I said, that's, that's, that's on me. I said, well, I gotta, I gotta figure out what we gotta do to try to get back into a rhythm that, that got us to be the 15th ranked team in the country. I think that's the, the frustrating thing part. And I understand why the fans are frustrated. Um, you know, it, it's, we're, we're just, we're just not in a rhythm and, you know, we haven't, you know, I, I gotta try to do a better job of getting guys in certain positions to kind of give them maybe a little bit more of a rhythm. You know what? Good, good answer by coach. I, I actually like this answer. I, I think it shows accountability. He didn't throw anybody at the bus. He's talking about staying positive. I got one issue with the way he, he, he delivers this. So to me, it's not always just about the words. It's about your tone. It's about your delivery. They just got the doors blown off two straight games. And as you put, Tom, another no-show. And the fans booed. And that the fans, whether they're booing the players, whether they're booing Kevin, or just booing the overall collective environment of what they saw, they were not happy. You really have to chuckle when you tell Gary, <laughs> it's, it's on me. Is that really the need to chuckle as you're saying that? Are you deflecting? Are, are you softening the blow of the statement there? What, what am I missing? But to me, the demeanor in which that comes across, I don't take it as serious based on that delivery. You know, hearing Coach Willard actually take responsibility for something was almost refreshing. It saves his grade, Mike, for this section. You know, I, as much as I despised his answer about Walsh Jim, as much as that answer offended me, 
as a fan, as an alumni, that answer at least seemed to take some uh, responsibility. I have to do better. I have to get them in better places. I, I think basically after this week, he should have said that about everything. Nothing that happened against St. John's and nothing that happened against Marquette was uh, was something that you couldn't have seen coming. So yes, you have to get better. So as a grade for his public relations, I'm going to go right down the middle. I'm going to give him a C. I'm going to go C minus. And you think I would probably be harsher than that. We're just addressing Seton Hall right now in, in the doldrums of the January swoon, the, the, the Seton Hall slide, whatever you want to call it. He's pretty good when they win. Right. He's he's jovial. He's joking. He's got good rapport, but we don't win every game. Right. So he's got to be able to balance the good with the bad. And when it's bad, it tends to go off the rails. So I'm not going to even give him a down the middle C. I'm going to go on the C minus side. So, Mike, this really bad week has led to some interesting thoughts online. And, you know, the tinfoil hats have come out. The conspiracy theories are all in motion right now, Mike. So I'm going to read a few to you, and you tell me what you think of them, okay? Sounds like well, a plan. But, but hang on. You have to preface this segment for the fan base to say there is no factual basis that we are leaning on any of this in giving silly opinions or analysis to these you know, far-fetched, out-of-left-field ideas. This is just I, I purely I having fun, to right? I say that. I, I already said that these were the conspiracy theories that have been put out there that we found online. I didn't think we had to go that far. I, but I'm okay, just making Mike. sure. I, I, I just want to make sure that we're not coming across slanderous here, Tom, in, in any of the fun that we're having with, with this little segment. Because oh, okay. if so, I'm, I'm retracting anything that comes out of my mouth now before it even happens. I see that the, the Left Coast Pirate Law Department has gotten to you and has, has already made sure you put out that message. So great. Good for you, Mike. So well, let me go through the list here. Theory one, Kevin Willard has already accepted a job with Maryland. Number two, Bryce Aiken has decided not to play any more games this season. Number three, all the freshmen are transferring out after this year, <laughs> which is potentially the most knee-jerk reaction of all that I've read out there. All right, let, let, let's have fun with these. Let, let's start with the first one. So, so Willard has already accepted the Maryland job, and when, what the concept is, the team is not rallying around him. The team has given up knowing that he's already taken the job. So he's therefore lost the locker room. Is, is that the concept here? I, I, I don't know where it starts, Mike. I'm just telling you what I saw online. How, how ridiculous is that, though? Come on. Uh, just, just not how it works. Like, I, you've seen situations where sometimes, you know, a coach gets canned and then somebody else steps in. You kind of see it at the end of the college football season. And then what happens when it's announced that, so-and-so has been let go and we're going to bring in the new Oregon coach to be the, the coach in our program. Does that coach get to do the bowl game? Did, did uh, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame get to coach the bowl game as he was moving on to the SEC? Did that happen? No, it's just not the way it goes down. They did not announce that Mark Turgeon was parting ways with the university, have an interim coach, but behind the, de the the closed doors, there's a secret handshake deal with Kevin Willard at this point. Come on, stop it. That that one was just blasphemy. No. Uh-uh. Go ahead, hit me with the, what was the second one again? Bryce is not going to play ever again. 
all right, I'll, I'll take the other side of the coin on this one. Why not? Bryce has got a concussion. We don't know the severity of the concussion. You've said to me a thousand times, concussions are tricky. Uh, apparently, this is the second time Bryce has had a concussion in his career. Let's also face the fact that Bryce has been significantly banged up throughout his career. I'm not saying he's not a competitor. I'm not saying he doesn't want to get back out on that court. I'm not saying he doesn't want to be in the foxhole with the rest of his brothers on this basketball team. I'm not saying that. But sometimes a player steps back and says, you know what? The end result or the joy of being on the court is not as important or worth the risk of my health going forward. And I'll give you an example. Did you think Andrew Luck was going to retire from the Colts? Did you? Guy was playing at the peak of his game, but he was getting his butt kicked. And he was looking pretty stupid in terms of, you know, woozy on the sideline with some of those concussions. He's a Stanford kid, right? Bryce is a Harvard kid. Smart Stanford kid walked away. Why can't the smart Harvard kid walk away potentially and say, you know what, Kevin, I'm just, you know, this is it. I just, I don't see where this team is going. I, I don't need, I don't need to have my health compromised any further. It's been a nice try, but this might be it for me. Could that be possible? It might be possible, unlikely, but possible. Let me handle the last one. And this one was one that I found the, the, the kind of the silliest because you've got now three sets of fo- uh, three sets of kids that you're talking about are all going to leave. There have been some tweets from Brandon Weston's mom that would could be classified as unhappy. Tyler Powell, we already talked about, got six minutes into the game against the Johnnies, never smelled the ball. And Ryan Conway, not only is he potentially redshirting this year, I say potentially because it hasn't been an official label on him yet, but he's also been basically recruited over for next year with Jameer Harris's brother coming in. Not to mention Jahari Long coming back from his knee problem. Who knows how far down the depth chart this kid's going to be? Don't forget Kadari Richmond's probably not going to the NBA anymore, right? Absolutely, but, you know, Having all three of them transfer out, that is, uh, those odds are long. I think people are reading into things. I think this bad week has gone, gotten to people's heads and they're just popping off any moment they can. You you said it best. It was a bad week. So people kind of go off the deep end and they're kind of giving you all the, the complexities. Has Willard reached his ceiling? You know, let, let's break down the future of this program. I just, I think we all need to stop being prisoners of the moment. We always tease each other about that when we go week to week on the recap. But there was a point early in the season when Seton Hall had knocked off Texas and Michigan when they were both ranked in the top 10. And how many times did you see or read that people were saying Kevin Willard should be given his lifetime contract? Lock him up now. But then to the same extreme, because they're going through this rough patch, the swoon, the slide. He should not be fired because they're only three and six in conference play. I think some fans are worried that it might get much worse and they're taking their disdain for Kevin Willard and using this as their moment to to get their emotions out. But Willard has had a history of turning things around. You can't place judgment both positively and negatively. You can't build statues and then storm the castle all within the matter of a couple weeks. We need to put things back into perspective. 
So as frustrating as a week this was, we need to back take take a step back and as you say, hey, there are ten more games to go. Ten more games, ten more chances of improving things. But right now, Mike, it doesn't look good. The team is twelve and seven, three and six in conference. Ten games left, Mike. Before you before you do this, before you start breaking down all these games and asking me how are they going to get to seven more wins, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm going to give them a pass on this three and six to an extent before we set the stage for can they get seven out of ten. Let's be fair. In this three and six, they did play two teams that they would have been significantly better off having Tyrese and Ike healthy in the lineup in that Providence and Villanova stretch. They are struggled in this last two out of three. I know they got the St. John's win, but they struggled in these last two out of three because they did not have Bryce Aiken. Are we going to look at these last 10 games with a healthy roster? All nine guys in our depth chart that have made us as strong as we say we can be as part of this stretch run, or are we still going to be battling the unlucky breaks the the offensive charged elbows to our chin costing us games of the road are we gonna is it gonna be straight up is Seton Hall still gonna get the bad luck as Mike, we evaluate so, so sometimes games? I think you forget that this is sports and part of sports are injuries and part of actually succeeding at sports is overcoming injuries Michael so I don't know what you want to do give credit for losses now, do I take those two losses when we were shorthanded and with a grain of salt? Sure. But did we give it did we walk into that Maryland game down to our two best players and say, oh well, it's okay if they lose, but oh, they won, but I don't know if it counts as much. I don't know. No, no, no. You're stop right. making, you're ex- right. stop making excuses. Right. They, what they have did we seen? And what have we seen in the last three games? What have we seen in the last five games that makes you feel comfortable in the least bit? We get we let DePaul almost put a hundred on us, Mike, in a forty-minute game. And they were at full and they were at full strength in that game. That was I, their with- third. That was DePaul's third game in six nights, Mike. They weren't complaining about being tired. They just came out and put a W up. I'm just trying to give you a different perspective. So, I, I'm more I'm more along the lines of your philosophy here. When when Desi went down with the injury up at the dunk, the Seton Hall could have rolled over the following day playing Providence on their home gym. But what did we do? We dug deep. We stepped up. We won that game. And then they go on a run down the stretch without Desi healthy at all to get into the dance and, and finally watch a victory in the NCAA tournament. You're right. I'm a big believer of next man up or how do you overcome adversity? I, I agree with all of that. But I think if you told me right now, I'm going to look at the next 10 games and look at all the adversity that they have or the way that they're playing right now, I don't know if I like the outlook for the next 10 games. But if you're telling me they get healthy and they're playing closer to the way they played in the non-conference, potentially. That's how I want to look at these 10 games. I want to look at these last 10 games, glass half full. Well, here's the problem, Mike. After that DePaul loss and after we've played the way we played in these last week, I don't know what we can say is a definitive win and what's not. Okay, but but, but, but you do hypotheticals, though. Beginning of the season, we thought to ourselves, 
We need to sweep the bottom dregs of this conference. That included DePaul. That includes Georgetown. And at this point, that's got to include Butler. I don't know that we sweep these guys. Obviously, we can't sweep DePaul. But nothing of what I've seen tells me we should sweep Georgetown. Nothing I see says we should win our next game against Butler. Xavier's playing fantastic. I don't know if we can split those. Creighton's been kind of up and down, I think. You know, we never seem to go to Omaha and play well. But, UConn's but, but playing point, better. Nova's but still is, Nova. But we could do that. Though. We could How do we get say, seven games out of this? So play along with me here. We could, we could play this well. I mean, the way we're playing, I can't rank ourselves ahead of anybody right now. Yeah, I, I get all that. But the reality is we're trying to paint a narrative that gets this team on the bubble or potentially into the NCAA tournament. We're not trying I'm to not, sit there and go, I'm not painting any narrative. I'm uh, just trying to be realistic here. That's the narrative that I want to paint. I want to have oh, hope for the last 10 years of the season. So play along with me. With hope that this team could make the dance still, do they win at Georgetown? Yes or no? They'll win. Okay, they, sh- they should, right? Otherwise, the next podcast is going to get ugly. Creighton has played very well at home, but they are a young team. You should beat... Creighton on your own court. I yes agree. or no? Yep. Okay. So that gets that kind of writes the ship a little bit. Now you're back to now you're back to five and six. Xavier at home. Xavier's a good team, but you win two in a row. Is that more of like a toss-up? I have no clue what happens to Xavier. So let, let's put that on the side because that, that's what I did. I wrote it down as a question mark. At Nova, realistically. Loss. Okay. Loss. At UConn. Loss. I'm with you. Home to Paul, home butler. Wind? I <laughs> They, they got to be wins, right? For having this conversation in terms of making the dance, those have to be wins. So I'm going to give them wins there. At Xavier, loss. Okay, I, I, I won't, I won't fight you on that one. Georgetown at home, uh, win. Okay, if that's the narrative, the way it plays out, and there's nothing extreme in what you just broke down. There was no major upset. There was no monumental win. You, you kind of held serve at home, and we said Xavier was a toss up, and then we're beating the the, the bottom feeders. That would get you to potentially nine and nine or eight and ten going into the final game of the season at Creighton, depending on what happens in the in the Xavier matchup at home. If you win, you're nine and nine. If you lose to Xavier, you're eight and ten. Are they stealing any one of those road games in your opinion? The the Nova UConn Xavier. Not I, what I've seen this past week. I, I don't disagree. And I think going into Creighton, if I had to make a projection. If Creighton's got anything they're playing for down the stretch here, that's going to be a tough game. They played very well at home. But knowing that Kevin has played well, where Kevin's teams have played well with their backs up against the wall, hey, maybe they get some retribution for the, the loss of Creighton a couple of years ago. If they got to 10 and 9 in Big East play and 18 and 10 overall, because we're not counting the Nyack win, that should put them sixth overall in the Big East standings. They would probably then get to Paul on the opening night of the Big East tournament. That game doesn't count. You're, you're, you're going to win it, but it can only hurt you. So it gets you to 19. I think they have to then win the 3-6 matchup the following night to even have a shot to get in. Am I that far-fetched in the way that I mapped this out that this team could still have a shot? No, I think you're right on the money. And at that point, the 3-6 game is what, potentially? Uh, it's got to be either Providence or UConn? We don't know yet. It, it, could, it could be any one of four teams. It could be Nova. It could be Providence. It could be Marquette who's still up in the standings. 
It, it could be anybody right now. We don't really know. But guess what? That's the late game. That's the late game. We're good. We're good at the late game. Oh, Mike, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, God forbid this coming week goes as poorly as last week, because I, I, I mean, we're going to we're going to be apocalyptic at that point, man. But we we just love misery, don't we? Because we're still going to be watching these games. We're still going to be taking every note known to man. We're still going to break down what's coming up. So we're crazy. We're those fanatics, Mike. I don't. I don't think we're crazy. I don't. I don't think I wanted to come onto this episode and find a different way to dissect this. I mean, I didn't even want to do the episode at all. It was a. T- this is a tough week. I mean, th- this one really hurt as as a fan. But you because- showed up, Mike. Good for you. I'm here. You I'm here, Tommy. I'm, I'm putting heat. on my big boy Good pants. Look at I'm you. I'm answering the questions. I'm answering the bell. Look at you. I'm proud. I did the research you, still. Come on, man. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I, I'm just concerned about if if the back end is a three and seven. You you were joking, going, hey, Mike, this is our senior season of Left Coast Pirates. Are we graduating? If we go three and seven and the wheels come falling off. You, you want to do another season? We may be graduating if we're only doing better work than the team is at this point, Mike. Oh, oh edit that out right I, now, Tommy. Edit that out. I am not giving a prediction for this week. I'm not asking you for a prediction. Well, I, could, I can't, I I can't do, predict the win at Georgetown. I can't I want, predict no, the win at Georgetown. I don't want to hear it. Don't mush us, Mike. All I'm going to do is I'm going to sit back and I'm going to love myself the team like I do right now because I always love the team no matter how hypercritical I can be. And I'm going to watch that game and I'm going to yell, Go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates, And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiree, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 